This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. My name is Amanda Delheimer. Do you have a little voice in your head, something that talks to you, helps you make decisions? You might call it intuition or your conscience or a higher power or... I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes following my intuition is difficult. It's not automatic, despite its reputation for being instinctive. And sometimes I doubt it, and I absolutely can't fake it. But occasionally, when I'm able to let go of all of the fear and doubt, there's something magical about intuition, about when my body knows a truth before my mind is ready to process it. This is a story about that kind of magic. In a story of intuition, loss, love, and the art of letting go, Second Story is proud to present Dana Cruz. Something you should know about me? I pray a lot, like, a lot. Now to be clear, This doesn't mean that I hail Mary in the grocery store, that I choose the ripest melon, or that I drop a rosary when I spray raid to kill the ants that invade my kitchen every spring. No, no. What I mean is I have a very active dialogue with a higher power that, for the sake of clarity, I will refer to here as God. It's the way I move through the world. I look for God, and I want to believe that God looks for me too. It's a complicated, intricate relationship. There is a lot of doubt and a lot of questioning, and there is a lot of mature, sometimes one-sided conversation. And at the same time, there is this sweet, soft voice that I like to believe is my guidance, my connection to my highest good, my intuition. That's right. I just admitted that I hear little voices in my head Okay, rewind. October 2015, my son Max is 18 months old. He and I have traveled to Connecticut to be with my mom. My Aunt Dee Dee has had a massive heart attack. She's relatively young, 65, mom's baby sister. Baby sister. A phrase I would hear my mom utter again and again over the next week under her breath or after some challenging conversation. Dee? was always healthy. She would run almost every day. And in her Brooklyn apartment, she had this strange exercise equipment that I would play with when I was little. Now they just call it TRX. But back then, it was weird shit with straps. She was always put together. Even when I would wake her up at the crack of dawn, uh, when she would sleep on the couch in my mom's house, no makeup, but you know, tasteful. Her face moisturized and glistening, smelling faintly of Camay. She smelled expensive. She was so beautiful. When we arrive, it's a blur of constant activity and extreme boredom. Travel, get food, wait for doctors, fielding phone calls, watching TV, and waiting and waiting. After learning the extent of Dee's condition from my mom, 90% blockage in one artery, 100% in the other, torn artery, major episode, minor episodes, seizures, I knew I had to be there. All the while knowing, hearing it in my head. 
She is not coming back. D is not going to wake up. No, how can you think that? Just don't even think it, okay? We have to talk to the doctors. We have to have faith. But her body has been through so much. How could she come back after this? Oh, just stop thinking that way. Just stop. Dee's been intubated for a week. She has a device inserted that is pumping her heart. She contracted MRSA and spiked a fever. Her temperature was lowered, simulating a coma uh, to try and let her body heal and combat inflammation. I can't even keep track of the medications, blood thinners, uh, sedatives, antibiotics, blood pressure medication, all working in concert to keep this body moving. After 20 to 30 hours of waiting, we get the major update. Mom looks exhausted, her blue eyes foggy. She is in a daze. Mom is the health proxy the decision maker. My aunt is not married, no kids. They are all that is left. Dee was like a second mother to me, I think, looking at mom as she rubs Dee's face. She's my godmother, godmother. The one who would take care of me if my parents were unable to do so. When I was younger, those things didn't seem like such a big deal to me. Now I take them a lot more seriously the commitment of holding a baby in your arms and promising to play second mother if it's ever needed. As a kid, I was oblivious to all that. I got presents and I got cards and I knew that she loved me. And now here I am, holding her hand and straightening her hair. In hour 44, I pull one of the ICU nurses aside. Can I ask you a question? Can you give me like best case scenario, worst case scenario? She starts to protest. I know you're not the doctor, but what's your experience with situations like these? Well, she says, I haven't seen anyone come out after having a pump and intubation for a week. And she hasn't ever come conscious again after the first attack. She says something else about protocol and certain things needing to be done for certain lengths of time, but I have stopped listening to her. My ears and cheeks are burning, and all I can hear is this voice in my head. You are here to help mom let Dee go. It's time to let her go. Mom can't do this alone. That's her baby sister. Oh, please, God, give me the right words, because I know that when I speak, my mom will listen. I know that she will believe me when I say it's time, so please don't let me be wrong. Don't let me give in if I should be asking for a miracle. I take my mom to Dunkin' Donuts for coffee. It feels right to get out of the hospital and walk for a bit. It's colder than I remember outside and the wind feels right and real on my skin after that surreal encounter. We squeeze into a tiny two-seater in Dunkin' Donuts. Max is in his glory since I thrust a whole cup of donut holes at him. I'll pay for that later when the sugar hits. Mom, what did Dee want? Did she ever tell you? Well, uh, we've had some conversations, but I don't know for sure. I mean... She wouldn't want to be hooked up to machines forever. That she wouldn't want. No, Mom, 
I can't imagine that she would. Ultimately, you have to make the decision. I think we did everything we could. The machines are keeping her going now, so it looks like she's in better shape than she is. She's had so many setbacks, and uh, I just think it might be too much for her body to handle, you know? Just think about it. You don't have to decide right now. I'll think about it, my mom says. And we sip in silence a few minutes more. Lying in bed that night, I worry. What if I'm wrong? What if this is one of those tests of ultimate faith, that praying for a miracle brings a miracle? Should I have told my mother, let's keep at it? Don't people with real faith believe there's always hope that we need to believe that Dee is coming back to us? What if I turned my back on Aunt Dee when she needed me the most because my intuition is wrong, because my guidance really isn't anything but my imagination, or worse, my fears? Oh, please, God, let me have done the right thing. When we wake up the next morning, Mom tells me she is ready. She meets with a doctor at 8 a.m., and tells him, remove the pump. They perform the procedure, and the next time we see Dee, they have cleaned her up, brushed her hair, she was always so particular about hair, and put Vaseline on her lips. My Aunt Dee's best friend, my Aunt Paula, has come to the hospital to visit. We need a miracle, Dana girl, she tells me, a miracle. I look around at the people in the room, Aunt Dee, my mom, Aunt Paula, and I think, yeah, we need a miracle. And maybe the miracle is that we make the changes in our lives that really matter. Because at any moment, for no discernible reason, we could be lying here like Aunt Dee. I am so angry, angry at myself, for missed opportunities, for things unsaid, angry for feeling helpless, angry at the guilt I have for taking her love for granted. Once I had my own kids, I stopped sending cards, I stopped making calls. I felt awkward at holidays. There was so much joy and excitement at seeing me and I couldn't understand it. Why are you so excited to see me? I know I haven't been sending the love back like I've been taking, taking, taking it. Why did things become awkward? Why did I let it go this far? Did she think I was ungrateful? Did she even know I loved her? I feel this as I watch the machines hum, keeping her body here. Then like I can hear her whispering in my ear, I feel her hand on my heart. She knows I love her. The nurse comes in and tells us they are going to begin lowering the medications. She whispers, I think it will be quick. My Aunt Paula takes Max to the waiting area. Mom and I cry. We hold Dee's hand. We tell her, it's okay to go. And we wait. We watch the monitors. We wait. 
One hour. Two hours. I hear my stomach rumbling. I look up at my mom and I start to laugh. Then we both start to laugh. Then we really start to laugh and it feels so good to laugh. My mom starts to tell stories about Aunt Dee and her as little girls, how Aunt Dee would try to sleepwalk right out of their tiny third floor Brooklyn walk up and how my mom would place booby traps on the floor, uh, toys, shoes, so that she would wake up from the noise before Dee escaped. How Dee could open all the locks, including the chain lock in her sleep. Mom would have to catch her because one time she made it all the way downstairs. The nurse comes in again. They want to remove the breathing tube. She says it's a very uncomfortable looking process, but promises that Dee will feel no pain. She asks that we leave the room. We go to the waiting area where Aunt Paula has Max. He is exhausted. I tell my mom I'm gonna take him back to my aunt's apartment and put him down for a nap. I drive back to that apartment in a fog. Get Max to sleep sit down to meditate or pray, some combination of both. Sunlight streams through the glass sliding door. I sit on the floor, directly in the sun, so I can feel its warmth on my skin. I watch the specks of dust fall like snowflakes through the light. It is so quiet. I close my eyes. That afternoon, my prayer went like this. Please, God, just tell me that I did the right thing. I know you don't like to do things this way, but this time, I need a sign. I need like a real concrete life sign that you are with me at that exact moment. My phone rings. Hello? She's gone, says my mother. We're coming back to the apartment. This story was curated by Erlena McLaurin, directed by Josh Weinstein, with sound design by Shane Longben. The Second Story podcast is produced by Liv Oaf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.